0: In the fourth week of our series, Battle Tested, we're learning that even as Christians, we can find ourselves in bondage to Satan in certain areas of our life. We've been talking about how we have different ways we can open the door to Satan. We can, we can give him permission to come in and just set up a stronghold in our lives because when we open the door, we learn from Jesus in John chapter 10, he will come in. And when he comes in, he's not coming in to mess around. He's coming in to, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And if you've been here over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at some doors that as Christians we have a tendency to crack and leave open many times without even realizing it and we're basing this part of the series on a verse that's found in 1 john 2:16. for everything in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life comes not from the father but from the world and a couple of weeks ago we looked at the pride of life last week we looked at the lust of the eyes this weekend we are going to talk about uh the lust of the flesh i'll just tell you ahead of time. Uh, it's a tough message. There's just no way to get around this topic, and, and it not be a tough message. The good news is, uh, after this week, we're going to be. You know, I, I feel like I've been the guy every week, just just bringing you bad news. But in the next couple of weeks, you're going to get the good news of how Christ can heal us in our emotions because of sometimes strongholds in our past. Maybe rejection as a child, different things where Satan sets up stronghold, anger, bitterness, uh, rejection, all all these different things we're going to talk about. And then we're going to talk about how we can find deliverance. And I believe over the next few weeks, a lot of people around this place are going to get free of some of the stuff you've been carrying around for years. So I'm pretty excited about that. If you have your Bible, let's talk about it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 7. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We'll put the verses up on the screen. I'm gonna do something a little different this weekend. I'm gonna read the entire chapter and then I'm just gonna, and I'm gonna kind of make some commentary as we get our way through it. But then I'm gonna wrap it up by unpacking it at the end and we're gonna talk about the spirit of lust and how it operates and and what we need to know about it. So Solomon is speaking, Proverbs chapter seven, uh, chapter seven, verse one, he says this. My son, keep my words, store up my commands with you, Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. In other words, he would say, memorize the stuff. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. Now, we're getting ready to read about an event that most theologians believe was a real event. It's something that Solomon actually witnessed. And these theologians also believe that when Solomon refers to this wayward woman or the adulterous woman, he's not necessarily talking just about a literal person. He's also talking about the spirit of lust. So as we go through this passage, think of that, not just a literal woman, although it's true, the spirit of lust. And when we get to the end of the chapter, you'll see why I say that. Verse six, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. Now, when Solomon says that, he's not putting down teenagers or college kids or millennials. He's not doing that at all. He's just saying that he has no sense because Solomon, as he sees this unfold, he realizes he's already entrapped by the spirit of lust. He's already in bondage. And as a result, he makes the choice. He makes the conscious decision to do the wrong thing. Look at verse 8. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night Set in. By the way, let me just say this about the spirit of lust. It will lead you to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's what it does. If you remember the very first week, we talked about some of the characteristics of demons in the Bible, and we learned that they're very clever, they're very intelligent, they're very, very cunning, that they study us, they discover our weaknesses, they look at an opportune time, to attack us. We saw this with Satan, uh, with Jesus in the wilderness. Three times, three times he tempted Jesus. Three times Jesus refused to give in. And it said that Satan left for a more opportune time. He was going to look for a better time. I think this is what happened to uh, to David. I believe that the demons have studied him. I believe when he should have been at war and he stayed back at the palace, I think they realized we got our opportune time and David went down. That's what's going on with this guy in the story. Verse 10, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. Now notice this. Look at how it, it defines the this, this spirit of lust. She is unruly and defiant. And I think that pretty much describes the spirit of lust in our culture. I mean, I'm just gonna be honest with you. We pretty much live in a culture where there are no longer any absolutes when it comes to morality. I mean, there's kind of a philosophy, if it feels good, do it. What I do in the privacy of my life is my business. It's not your business. And you know what? I actually kind of agree with that. What you do in your privacy is your business. Here's the problem, is when you try to make it my business. When you come out and you're unruly, you're defiant, you're in my face, you want me to approve of your behavior. And if I don't approve of your behavior, then there's something wrong with me because I do have some absolutes in my life. But he's describing this spirit. She's loud, she's unruly, she's in your face. Verse 11, her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. Now notice verse 13. She took hold of him and kissed him. Now let me just say this. When it comes to lust, this is one of the areas where the enemy always shows his hand. In other words, when it comes to the spirit of lust, there's always a shock. There's always a surprise. There's something that happened that catches us off guards. In this story, she grabs this young man. She kisses him. Now, this is what we need to learn. When we are in a situation and we're shocked by the situation, that's the time to run. That's why Paul said, flee youthful lust. That's the time to run. For example, you may be in the office and someone of the office, opposite sect says something that makes you feel uncomfortable. Or maybe you're at the gym and, and someone says something to you and it's just an inappropriate comment. Or someone sends you an inappropriate text, right? And you feel uncomfortable. That's the time to run. Uh, years ago when we were living in California, Laura, uh, I think it was actually Thanksgiving day. She sent me to the grocery store cause she had forgotten something. So I went to the grocery store. I got the one thing I'm standing in line and in front of me, uh, uh there's, there's a cart and there's a, a pretty attractive lady on the other side of the cart taking care of the groceries. And she has a little, little girl sitting there in the, in the little seat, you know, they sit in. So I'm, you know, playing pickaboo and messing around with her. and She's laughing and stuff. Well, that's it. They pay the groceries. They move on. So I pay for my one item. I walk out. She's standing there. And uh, she says, hi. She says, my daughter really liked you. And I'm like, oh yeah, she's cute, she's a cute kid. And she says, are you married? And I held my finger. I said, yeah. She said, happily. Let's see, I went home. I said, Laura, you are not gonna believe what happened. I said, I think a woman hit on me at the store. Laura said, was she attractive? I said, yeah. She said, I don't believe it. Uh, i don't believe it i don't believe it right but see here's the thing when something like that happens i'm telling you it is god shocking you that's the time to run but let me give you when you stop being shocked you're in trouble you're in trouble Then it says in verse 13, she took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, today I fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. I'm going to skip all the theology and just sum it up. Basically, what she's saying is I just been to church. I served in Kid City. I paid my offering. Me and God are good. What we're about to do, we have his blessing. Now, you got to understand, this is one of Satan's biggest lies And it's this, you can do anything you want to do morally and then ask God to forgive you. That it's not a big deal. After all, we're under grace, right? I've had married people sit in my office that are having an affair, telling me how spiritual their affair is. I've had people look me in the eye and say, you know what, my wife, my husband, we never prayed together, we never, read." but this girl that I met at the office that we're having the affair with, we read the Bible together. We pray to God. I'm telling you, that may be the height of deception. Satan has deceived you. I'm telling you, he has blinded you to the truth. Verse 15. So I came out to meet you. This is the lady. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink deeply. Now notice this, of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with Love, let me just tell you something about lust, okay? Lust always masquerades itself as love. I mean, even in our culture, what does our culture refer to having sex? They call it making love, right? But let me tell you something, love is from God. This, you can write this down. Love is from God, lust is from Satan. Lust is a one night stand. Lust is the next hottest guy or girl that can meet your needs sexually. Yeah. lust is sleeping with the latest person that you've started dating and you're so infatuated with because now it's okay because this is the one. Now, let me just say this. This is not just a male issue. And I say that because I had a lot of women come up to me this week and say, I can't wait to hear what you're gonna tell the men this week. Are you kidding me? Go home and do the research. Do the research in the research on pornography and how the gap between men and women has closed, almost become even, you know? But I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to telling the difference between lust and love, ladies, I think you struggle more than we do. I'll give you an example. You ladies love The Bachelor. Let me tell you something. The Bachelor sleeping his way through the bachelorettes till he finds the one is not love. That's lust. Okay? Romance novels. I know married couples that their marriages have fallen apart because the wife got in the romance novels and the spark and the relationship and the sex. And it's like, why isn't our relationship like this, right? That's not, that's not love, that's, that's lust. Let me tell you something, ladies. 125 million copies of Fifty Shades of Gray have been purchased. And I don't think it was by the men. Men, can I get a dilly dilly? Can I get a dilly dilly? <laughs> All over this way, man, kind of dilly, 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 dilly. Yeah. See, we've gotten confused. What's love? What's lust? You wanna know what love looks like? This is what love looks like. That's what love looks like. It's a couple that's been married 69 years, raised four children and are still together for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death does do part. See, that, that's what love looks like. But that isn't gonna sell books. By the way, my mom called, I, I can tell you this because she's not at this service. My mom called me, and she usually comes on Saturday at the 415 service. She called me last Saturday, about three o'clock. She said, Mike, she said, my, my mom and dad are 90 and 87, okay? So put that in perspective. She said, my dad took me shopping for a bra. We walked all over the mall. I couldn't find one she says i'm exhausted so we're not going to be able to make it to church this afternoon i said well, that's good mom i don't want you coming to church brawlers. you know what i'm saying i mean you can't be having that stuff but anyway <laughs> that's funny anyway i told her i was going to tell it she said i don't care but anyway The spirit of lust may refer to it as love. It's not love, it's lust. And we have to know the difference. Look at verse 19. My husband is not home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and would not be home till full moon. In other words, I've got it all planned out and we will not get caught. Or even better, I got it all planned out and there won't be any consequences to what we're about to do, right? I'll talk about that in a second. Verse 21, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. I want you to listen to this language. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose. Like an arrow pierces his liver. It's a reference to death. Like a bird darting into a snare. Look at this. Little knowing, it will cost him his life. Now, hang on to that thought, right? Now, as I said at the beginning, Solomon watched this unfold. It's taking place at night. They had it all planned out. They didn't think anybody would see them. But guess what? The king was watching. And he was watching them through the window. And many theologians believe that Solomon had this man and woman executed. And the reason is, in the Old Testament, the penalty for this kind of behavior was death. I mean, that's what literally happened. But I believe it's also talking about what happens to us as Christians spiritually spiritually when we go down this road, and I'll tell you why I say that in just a second, but verse 24, says, now then my sons, listen to me, and this is why I, I, I'm confident, this is talking about the spirit of lust, listen to me, pay attention to what I say, do not let your heart turn to her ways, stray into her paths, many are the victims, not just this lady has brought down, the spirit of lust, many are the victims she has brought down, her slain or a mighty throng, have you guys been watching the news lately? Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. Now, I want to unpack this for a few minutes, The spirit of lust. And I want to give you three words that will help you not only understand this spirit, help you avoid this spirit. All three of these words begin with D. Here's the first one, desire. The word lust actually means desire. In fact, many times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word translated desire could also be translated Lust. In fact, when you get to the New Testament, the Greek word translated desire, it's a neutral word. It can be good, it can be bad. And I'll show you an example of that. Luke 22, verse 15. He, Jesus, said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat Passover with you before I suffer. That's the exact same word that's translated lust in other places in the New Testament. So it can be good, it can be bad. Now let me just say this as we get into this. God created sex. Okay. Sometime in eternity past, God's sitting on his throne like, Ooh, I got the coolest idea. God came up with the idea of sex and God gave each of us a good, healthy, natural desire for sex. And that desire can be fulfilled in a godly way. But I'm going to tell you something, that desire can never be fulfilled in an ungodly way. And just so you know, the Bible describes lust in several different ways. Sometimes it's called worldly lust. Sometimes it's called deceitful lust. In other places, it's called evil desires. And the Bible is trying to tell us that God gave us a pure desire. Satan has turned it into an evil desire. And this is what you need to understand. As Christians, when we get on that road and continue on that road, it will lead us into bondage. In fact, let me give you a few verses to prove my point. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 Paul says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When he says, walk by the spirit, he says, do the things that God tells you to do through his word. Live that way. Instead of desiring, the, the, gratifying the desires of the flesh. That's what, I wanna do what I wanna do. If it feels good, do it. That would be the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Look what it says. So that you are not to do whatever you want. And when we see that phrase, so that you're not to do whatever you want, we see that in a negative way. What do you mean? Why can't I do what I want to do? But you got to understand that this can be a positive also. In other words, think about this. You can so desire as a Christian, okay, to do the good things that God wants you to do, it can keep you from doing the bad things that you want to do. And that's what Paul is saying in these verses. Romans 6, verse 19. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves, in other words, in bondage to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. How about Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6? Those who live according to the flesh want to do what's right for them, have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind controlled or governed, that's what the word means, by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 13, verse 14, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of of the flesh. Now, a few weeks ago, I was talking about there's all kinds of ways that we can open the door to Satan in our life. And I mentioned one of those areas is continued sin. Let me show you why I said that. You may remember the very first week we looked at the passage, John chapter eight, Jesus was teaching. And this is what he said in verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave or the slave of sin. You are in bondage to sin. And a lot of us didn't really buy into that. But when you think of the word commit, think of the word Committed. What it literally means is this whoever is committed to continuing in sin. In other words, you made the decision, this is just what I'm going to do. In fact, this Greek word for commit literally means to formulate a plan. So, this is what Jesus was saying. Whoever formulates a plan to sin is in bondage to sin. Now, let's, let's not act pious. We've all been there, and some of you, I mean, you're there right now, right? but we've all had a sin in our life where we formulated a plan to accommodate that sin. We, We all had a strategy to keep it hidden. Now, according to Jesus, that's not a weakness. According to Jesus, that's bondage. And that's why Paul says in Romans 13, verse 14, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Quit making a plan for doing it your way And figure out how to clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand that the word desire, it's a neutral word. You can have good desires, you can have bad desires. Second word, deception. I want to show you a passage. It's actually uh, Proverbs chapter 6, the previous chapter what I just read to you. Again, Solomon's talking about lust, he's talking about immorality, he's talking about adultery. But in the middle of this chapter, there's this verse. If you were just reading Proverbs 6, you were like, that makes no sense. Why is that there? Let me show it to you. Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 30, Solomon's just talked about immorality, adultery, all these different things. He says this, people do not despise a thief. What's he talking about, a thief? If he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it cost him all the wealth of his house. But then he goes back to immorality. A man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. So here we have this passage where Solomon talks about lust, the spirit of lust, adultery, and immorality. And then right in the middle, he says, people don't despise a thief if he steals because he's hungry. By the way, what is immorality? I give you this all the time. Here's a biblical definition for any sex outside the context of a man and woman in a committed marriage relationship. That's immorality. And I know people don't like that, but so here's my challenge. Find otherwise. Find otherwise. You go ahead and read the Bible. If, it, if you find anywhere where God says it's okay, I'll retract it, okay? But I'm pretty sure, I've probably read it more than you have, so you might wanna go with me on this one. And then, of course, there's people who say, well, you know, when Jesus was on this earth, Jesus never said this was wrong. You know what? Jesus never said having sex with a goat was wrong. But I'm pretty confident that that would be out of bounds. He didn't have to. Jesus talked about immorality. And immorality, God established it, immorality is out, any sex outside a husband and wife, and a committed marriage relationship. So we have this, and then right in the middle, right in the middle, he says, listen, people don't despise a thief if he steals because he's hungry. This is what Solomon's saying. He was saying, if it was just for satisfaction, someone might excuse adultery. If it was just for physical satisfaction, someone might even excuse immorality. But it can't be for satisfaction because this is what Solomon is teaching It will never be, lust is never, ever satisfied. Now here's the deception of lust, you'll always want more. I remember when I was actually a senior pastor and a youth pastor at the same time when I was young and had more energy. And I used to meet with some young men every Thursday, they'd get out of class, they'd come over and we were going through this thing and we were talking about purity and sexual purity and I'll never forget his name was Matt, Matt Gore. And uh, just a good kid. But one time he says, Mike, he says, man, he says, I think if I could just have sex one time, I'd be fine. Get it out of my system. I'm like, nope, not the way it works. You know, what happens when you feed an appetite? It grows. It grows. It's never, ever satisfied. Now, let me just say this. In a marriage relationship working the way God designed it to work, you can be sexually satisfied. But in an impure, immoral relationship, you will always want more. You don't ever be satisfied. And this is what will happen. It will take you into bondage. Lust is an empty promise. It never satisfies. It just causes more desire. So we've got desire, deception. Here's the third one, death. James 1:14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. In other words, this is what I want to do. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to to death. Remember what I said back in Proverbs 7, 23? I said, remember this little knowing that it would cost him his life? This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, okay, so he's talking to Christians. We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, if you just do what feels right, what you want to do, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will die. Live. This is what Paul is telling us. Love always brings life, lust always brings death. Now, let me just say something here. When Paul talks about this, about death, it doesn't necessarily mean immediate physical death. Remember, God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. We know they did not immediately die physically, but you know what? They began the process of dying physically. They would have never died if they hadn't disobeyed God, they would have lived forever. But understood when they, died, when they disobeyed God, they immediately died spiritually. The relationship with God in Adam and Eve was broken. Paul says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the most misused verse in the Bible. We use it for sharing people the gospel. The wages of sin is death. And we're trying to say, hey, you're going to die from your sin. But that's not really what Paul's teaching. Paul is speaking once again to Christians. Brothers and sisters. And what he's saying is this for a Christian, the wages of sin, of a continued sin, a continued lifestyle of sin, is a death like existence. Now, let me ask you a question How many of you listening are dead spiritually because of lust? I mean, maybe you're in, a, in an affair or you're having sex outside that boundary of a husband and wife in a committed marriage relationship. It could be you're so entrenched in addiction to porn. You know, it could be some of you ladies, you can't wait to get home to read the next chapter, you know, 50 shades of gray, whatever it is, right? You're not dead physically, but I will tell you this. If you're there, your spiritual passion and hunger and desire for God has died. And it's because, see, instead of desiring what God created you to desire, a relationship with him, a life where you walk by the spirit, not by the flesh, see? Your desire and your passion has taken a detour It's taken a detour. It's gone another way. I mean, think about this: How many marriages have died because of lust? How many times have you heard, "I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore." You know what? It's because somewhere in that marriage, you know what happened? Passion and desire took a detour. How many families, and we know families, have died because of lust? And if you if you don't believe that, you're deceived. I mean, I promise you, if you're in bondage to the spirit of lust, it's affected your life, your family, your marriage, maybe your finances, your health. I guarantee you your joy, see? But that's what the spirit of lust does. It brings death to everything it touches. How depressing is this? But what's the solution? Two words, both begin with D, not dilly-dilly. Okay, let me give them to you. Deliverance and discipleship. It takes two things. Deliverance and discipleship. In other words, you need to be delivered from Satan's influence in this area of your life where he has a stronghold. But then, see, you've got to retrain the way you've been thinking. That would be discipleship. We talked about this in our Taking Flight series. Our lives are transformed how? By the renewing of our mind, we have to begin to think differently, not the way we want to think, but from a biblical perspective. It takes deliverance and it takes discipleship. In fact, let me show you a passage where it brings discipleship and deliverance together. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. This is what Paul said. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of this world. We've been talking about that in this series. On the contrary, they have divine power to demonish there's the word strongholds. Paul is talking about deliverance, breaking down strongholds in our lives. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Look at this. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take every thought that leads to our actions and we make them line up with God's word. That's discipleship we're transformed by the renewing of our minds what does that look like well some point you've got to you got to identify the lives that have shaped how you live your life and when it comes to morality and immorality it could be it's okay god understands society has changed god's got to keep up with the times that can't be what the bible really teaches everybody else is doing it and that's what's affected and determined your behavior you got to identify the lies you got to remove the lies and you got to replace it with the truth of God's word, that when God created sex, he created it for a husband and wife in the context of a committed marriage relationship. And anything outside of that is wrong. See, we need deliverance, and we need discipleship. That's how we overcome the enemy. See, we want you to go through living free. We want you to go through unhindered. There's a new men's Bible study starting Monday night here at the Raleigh campus on, on temptation. Maybe this, is, maybe this is what you need to go to, but if you struggle in this area, listen, listen to me. I don't want you to feel condemned. That is not my point. I do want you to feel convicted. Like this is wrong, and I need to take care of it. And let us help you. By the way, when we talk about strongholds, understand it's a neutral word, just like the word desire. It's a neutral word because as Christians, God is our stronghold. But this is what happens, we get tired. We have a bad day at work. We have an argument with our spouse. We're exhausted, our kids are getting on our last nerve. And when that happens, we run to a stronghold, but often we run to the wrong stronghold. Let me give you a very simple definition of a stronghold. A stronghold is a train of thought. It's a train of thought, and this is why I say it. Our minds are like Grand Central Station. And they're a train of thoughts There are trains of thoughts pulling in and pulling out every second. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Your destiny in life depends on which trains you decide to board. And the enemy is going to put, he's going to put the trains of lustful thoughts, inappropriate sexual behavior in our minds. And if you board those trains, the Bible says, not me, the Bible says, as Christians, we are heading for death, a death-like existence. It could be the death of your marriage, it could be the death of your family, a business, maybe, maybe even your life. But I'm telling you, the more you get on those trains, the more you accept that behavior, the easier it becomes to board those trains when you're stressed. And so what you got to do is you gotta board a different train. What does that train look like? Well, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Paul says, just think about those things. By the way, this this is what Paul was talking about back in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 when he said you got to take every thought captive and bring it in alignment with Jesus Christ and his word. By the way, the word, this is cool, the word captive, and I didn't really pay that much attention to it this, this week. The word captive in the Greek means by spear point. Or by sword point. It's this idea you're holding it, you're holding it at spear point. You're holding it at sword point. Why is that significant? Well, this is what Paul said in Ephesians 6.17. Take the helmet of salvation and the, the sword of the Spirit, hold it captive, which is the Word of God. In other words, Paul says the best thing you can do to battle lust is to begin memorizing. God's word. It will drive out those thoughts. That's what it means to renew your mind. So you filled your mind with thoughts that shouldn't be there. You've got to replace those thoughts with God's thought, thoughts. Now I said the word stronghold is neutral. It can be good or bad. In the Greek, I told you a Greek word will often have one, two, or three definitions. The Greek word stronghold has three definitions. One is positive, two are negative. The positive one is a fortress. It's a place that you run for safety. God is our stronghold. That's where we should run. Two are negative. Here's the second one, a prison. In other words, it can lead you to bondage. Or third, there's one time in the Bible where it's actually referred to as a tomb. And my point is simply this. God is telling us that if you continue to board the wrong train when it comes to desire and lust, it's gonna lead you to bondage, prison. Worst case scenario, maybe a tomb. But that's what happens when we run to the wrong stronghold. So make sure you're running to the right stronghold. You're going to God. This is what Peter says, 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, remember, as Christians, we're just, this is not home, we're passing through, to abstain from sinful desires. exact same word that's translated lust in the Bible, "which which rage war against your soul. Can you make it any clearer than that? These thoughts, these behaviors, they are waging war against your soul. So let me just say this, not just as your pastor, but even more so, just just as a friend, let us help you. We wanna help you, you know. Stop feeling condemned, Just, just accept the help. Let's bow, and then I'm gonna pray, and, and uh, like I said, I know this is a heavy message, but I want you to know this. If you're a Christian, you need to know this, God is head over heels in love with you, and Jesus Christ came that we might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly, but see, we crack those doors open in our life that let things in before you know it, they're strongholds, they're thoughts. We're getting on the wrong trains, we're going in the wrong direction. And we're going to destinations that we, want to go, we don't want to go to. But I'll tell you this, Jesus Christ can set you free. He'll set you free. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said in John 8, 35, in whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. He doesn't want you to live in bondage. You know what I know about you? You don't want to live in bondage. We don't want you to live in bondage. Now, let me just say this, too. It doesn't really matter to me what you've done. We we all mess up, we screw up, we all have a story. Your pastor's no different. But let me say this, it is never, ever too late to draw the line in the sand and start doing what's right. It's never too late. God loves those kinds of stories. But you gotta run to the right stronghold. So let me just say this. There's any bondage in this area of your life, I'm going to pray. Front, we're going to have some people who are going to stay and pray with you. Uh, you may want to consider taking some of these classes. You definitely want to consider taking some of these classes. You may need to contact us for more counseling. Um, but you stay here. Some men will come down and pray with the men. Some ladies will come down and pray with the ladies. But you know what? Don't leave here. Don't leave here until you're free. Okay, Father, you're an awesome God. And you want more than anything for us to experience the life that you have created for us. But you know what, Father, sometimes we just think we know better. And this is one of those areas where we just think we know better. That somehow we figured out that everything else in the Bible pretty much has stayed the same. But this whole thing of morality, uh, obviously there's another edition somewhere we haven't seen somewhere, it's updated. But God, I remind us that your character trait is immutability, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't adjust to us. We, captive every, we take every captive, thought captive and we bring it into alignment with you. Help us to do that and help us to not feel guilty or condemned, but do help us to feel convicted about what comes in our eye gate, our ear gate. Maybe the things that we don't even think they're bad, but yet they're pulling us away from you. What we read, what we watch. God, just help us to be more careful. Help us to feel shocked. Help us to feel uncomfortable so that we know that your spirit is alive and working in us. And I pray that people will stay. At all of our campuses, people will stay. And they'll deal with this today. In your name we pray, amen.